today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Foreign ministers of all the NATO nations are uh, discussing actions this week uh, they can take to try to assist Ukraine as, well, winter comes to Ukraine and it's cold and there's not a whole lot of electricity in many parts of the country. As, as we know, Russia has targeted energy infrastructure over the last couple of weeks, uh, leaving millions of Ukrainians in the dark with winter approaching. Kyle Benning has more details for us here. The front lines in Eastern Europe are wetter and colder, and NATO members are looking for solutions to support the Ukrainian military and people following Russian attacks on energy infrastructure. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg says Russia is weaponizing the winter with attacks on infrastructure subjecting Ukrainians to face the season without electricity. This is about defending, it's about um, repairing, and it's about replacing their energy infrastructure, and we are doing all things at the same time. He says NATO members will look to supply generators and electrical components to help Ukraine's power grid. Kyle Benning, Global News. The question, of course, is, is this going to be enough to get them through the winter? Uh, joining us to talk about this is uh, Aura Brown. Uh, professor Brown, of course, is a professor of international relations and a senior member of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto. Uh, professor, pleasure to have you on the program today. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, great to have you with us as we discuss what's happening here. As we get winter here, they're getting winter in Ukraine. Uh, we know about the missile attacks, of course, that have knocked out an awful lot of the infrastructure. Uh, in, in the past, President Zelensky has said, I need weaponry. Um, are they changing that that perspective and that ask right now? To, look, to, you know, we need generators. I mean, we need to get their people through the winter, don't we? They, they need both, and then they are linked together in an intricate way that we need to understand. The Russians clearly have been losing on the ground, so they have been targeting the energy infrastructure in Ukraine. They literally want to freeze the Ukraine population to death. It is another attempt at what some might describe a genocide, where Vladimir Putin does not recognize the existence of Ukraine or the existence of a Ukrainian people. So they obviously need transformers, circuit breakers, uh, surge arresters, uh, um, generators. All of those things are necessary to help keep people warm because this is a war crime targeting civilian energy infrastructure deliberately. The Russians had used pipeline diplomacy before because the West unwisely had allowed itself in Europe to become dependent on Russian energy, gas and oil. And some of that manipulation was legitimate, but they switched from that to energy terrorism. So that has to be countered, and part of the concern of the conference was precisely to do that. But at the same time, it is also essential that Ukraine proceeds to liberate as much of its territory as quickly as possible. So the foreign minister of Ukraine, Dmitry Kubala, said that whereas before he kept saying weapons, 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 now he's saying faster, 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 because this is a race against time. They need to be able to keep warm and they need to be able to push the Russians back. The further and more quickly they push the Russians back, the less Russians, the Putin regime at least, can do to damage the civilian infrastructure, including the crucial energy infrastructure in Ukraine. Professor, as we get into winter, and you know, it's always a concern about what's going to be happening there. Uh, do you anticipate there's going to be any huge troop movement there, or is, are the Russians seem content right now, as you say, uh, to just stay where they are and just fire missiles at at, at infrastructure and at human targets? It does become more difficult to move, especially with heavy rains. Once it's winter, then it freezes over. Let us not forget 
that the Russian invasion occurred on February 24th, which is the mm -hmm. middle of winter. So a war does not stop in the winter. It takes different kind of forms, and it is possible to move. I think uh, General Millet uh, did a considerable amount of damage by unwisely suggesting that winter is coming and there should be some kind of negotiation that really uh, uh, had the potential to undermine the Ukrainian efforts as well as uh, the Western support for that. Fortunately, the Secretary of Defense, uh, uh, General Lloyd Austin, uh, made it very clear that this is not going to be American policy or NATO policy, that Ukraine can and will fight during the winter, but they need more weapons, they need more capacity, they need to be able to shoot down these uh, drones that uh, come from Iran that have caused so much damage. They need to be able to take the offense as they have in the Kherson region to liberate more territory. The further they push the Russians back, the less capacity the Russians have, the Russian forces, to damage the civilian uh, energy infrastructure. Let's talk about some of those comments. Uh, our Foreign Affairs Minister, Melanie Jolie, who's at these meetings with NATO uh, folks, uh, suggested yesterday that uh, there will be a diplomatic solution eventually. She went on to say this that's been the case in every other single conflict, but we're just not there yet. Uh, that seems rather optimistic at this point, because I don't think Vladimir Putin's thinking that, is he? The problem is that one can state what seems to be uh, generally correct, and that is diplomacy always plays a role, even in the most dire kind of and most violent kind of conflict. But the problem is, when does a diplomatic solution come in? When are you ready to achieve the goals that you have? You cannot have diplomacy in isolation, and most certainly you cannot negotiate with yourself. You have to negotiate with the other side. So there has to be a genuine willingness on the other side to reach some kind of viable solution. There has been no such indication in the case of Russia. The demands that they are making are not demands uh, that would reach uh, a compromise. The demands that Russia has been making, Vladimir Putin has been making, and that is the removal of the Ukrainian government, the uh, denial of Ukrainian nationhood, uh, the withdrawal of NATO forces uh, uh, that were deployed post-1997 in Eastern Europe, which would leave Eastern European countries entirely vulnerable to Russia. These are virtually suicidal for Ukraine and for NATO. So in a sense, one might say that it is possible to negotiate with an enemy, but it is not possible to negotiate with an executioner. In, in that vein, though, uh, it, it seems important then that Ukraine, if they're going to negotiate, if that ever gets you know uh, to a, to a reality, uh, they're going to have to do that from a position of strength, which would mean there'd have to be some military gains over the next little while, wouldn't it? This is precisely what the Ukrainians are saying, what the British are saying, what General uh, Lloyd Austin is saying, the Secretary of Defense of the United States. And this is why perhaps it's not wise to talk about negotiations as much as the willingness to negotiate is a virtue that the West has, but the timing is absolutely crucial. Ukraine has demonstrated that they, they have the capacity to defeat the Russians on the ground. It is almost miraculous. Uh, very few people, if anyone, would have believed that this was possible against the mighty Russian army, which turns out to be as corrupt as Russian society under Vladimir Putin. And so, consequently, they need to be given the means. 
this is precisely why the Ukrainian um, Minister of uh, Foreign Affairs said that not only do they need the weapons, but they need them faster. The West has not been delivering those weapons quickly enough. And this is where we have to, in Canada, uh, pay attention that we need to be better at uh, delivering the weapons, the ammunition that Ukraine needs. But in a way, we need to also improve our overall capacity. So in other words, in trying to help Ukraine, we also need to help ourselves. Our armed forces have been run down. The German forces, armed forces have been run down. We have to rebuild that capacity. After 1991, we have allowed our military capacity to be really be dramatically reduced. Vladimir Putin spent 10 years spending lavish on his armed forces uh, so he would have an offensive capacity. This is the sad reality of 21st century geopolitics. And as much as we would like to live in a rule-based order, we cannot do that in the face of brazen, naked aggression that Vladimir Putin has engaged in and what are uh, evidently vast war crimes for which the Putin regime will need to be held accountable. Yeah, uh, and we won't uh, talk about that. We're going to talk about that in, in, in ensuing weeks because I know that was brought up at the NATO meeting as well. But uh, our time is tight, Professor. Thank you so much for this today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Professor Earl Brown from uh, University of Toronto. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.